heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews. I'm here on the line with Matt Johnson. Matt, are you there? I am here. Glad to have you here. So let me do a quick introduction for you, and then we'll uh, get into your story and start talking, see how it goes. Um, so Matt Johnson is a marketer, entrepreneur, podcast expert, and musician as founder of Pursuing Results, a podcast PR and production agency that's based in San Diego. I got to go visit him down in San Diego a few months ago. Hmm. Um, you run a worldwide virtual team helping business coaches and agencies break into and dominate their niche through podcasting. Um, you currently host niche business podcasts such as UX and Real Estate Uncensored. And you recently launched Podcast Pitch Assistant, which if you've been a guest on this show, you've been <laughs> uh, exposed to because my uh, um, Matt actually trained my, my staff for the Podcast Pitch Assistant stuff, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, thank you for coming on, Matt. Let's start off real quick with talking about who you are now, what you're known for, why do people hire you, why do they come to uh, Pursuing Results? Cool. Uh, well, first of all, thanks because uh, for, for having me on and for the conversation and stuff like that. I always enjoy hanging out with you and, uh, and we, our, our mutual friend, Zach. We always have a blast. You coming yeah. down to San Diego, I'm pretty sure we hung out down there for like four hours and I got sunburnt <laughs> hanging out uh, in, in Seaport Village talking business. So I, I will take yeah. this conversation any day. Um, okay. So the short story is four years ago, I was just some dude working at a digital agency that served real estate people and I got thrust into a position where I was doing webinars with influencers in that space, right? So all of a sudden I was facilitating these conversations with super high level people that I, conversations I really had no business being a part of. Um, however, one of those people pitched me on starting a podcast together. So we did. We didn't really have a plan for it, but that evolved into like running three live episodes a week. That got me into producing and co-hosting other shows in that space and working with uh, really, really sharp, successful business coaches, right? And so now that today, that's who we serve. So at one point, I was hosting a bunch of them. I got out of that. I really just host the ones that are my own. And we produce podcasts for clients to help them build authority, visibility, and relationships and attract their ideal clients. So we handle all the back-end production so that they just show up and do the fun bit, like what we're doing here, having a conversation. Yeah. We do all the rest of the stuff. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about what, help do you get into this uh into this whole entrepreneur stuff because you said you were you were actually an employee when you started mm-hmm. um so what was the uh the origin story i guess for becoming an entrepreneur right we talk you know every hero has an has an origin story where you started to realize that you were different that maybe you wanted to pursue a different career how did that how did that happen well, we, you and I have a, a lot of similarities because we both come from uh, like a religious doctrinal theoretical background. Um, I did a short, short, yeah, much shorter stint in Bible school than you did, um, but we both have that, that going for us. So <clears throat> flash forward several years later, after I kind of got out of that space, 
and I wasn't chasing being in the ministry anymore, uh, I started a real estate team. Now I didn't, there's certain aspects that I loved, like the marketing, the team building, and then everything else I hated. So I shut down my real estate team in 07. Uh, I went and, and chased a music career for five years, taught myself a bunch of stuff about marketing and web design and, you know, social media, enough to like be dangerous with marketing, but I didn't really know a lot. Be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You should have seen that WordPress site. I'm sure it's still up somewhere for that poor piano studio owner in Denver that I worked for, but uh, it's, uh, I was, yeah, enough to be dangerous. So five years ago or something like that, I decided to come off the road for a sales job, settle down, get a real job. And I found a, a position at an agency that combined the two skill sets, which was real estate and sales and marketing. And so I became an account manager for an agency that dealt almost exclusively with, with the, some of the top real estate agents in the country. And when I got promoted into business development, their strategy was to build relationships with all the key influencers in that space. Super smart, right? Ahead of its time, really, really sharp. They didn't do it through podcasting though. It was through Google Hangouts back when that was a thing that was cool and existed. Yeah, back when it, was, when it actually existed, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's how I got started. So I don't necessarily have a strong allegiance to podcasting per se because I actually started in live video. To me, podcasting is a way to get that content into the hands of people in a way that allows them to spend more time with you because they don't have to watch the video necessarily. But, uh, but uh, all, of our, all of my initial growth in my first podcast was on YouTube. At one point, two thirds of our audience were actually watching on YouTube, not listening on iTunes. So I've got kind of an odd, I came to podcasting through a really weird, you know, bouncing all over the place kind of, uh, kind of story. Um, the way that I ended up going independent was I was working for the agency and one of their guys pitched me on starting the show and the intent was we were going to sell coaching and I was going to build training products, educational products. So that's why I left the agency was that that started to go really well and I wanted to do more of that. So initially all the podcasts that I hosted were in that really, really small niche right? Real estate coaching to other agents to help them become better business owners and entrepreneurs. Everything I did was in that space. Uh, at one point, I ended up being in four different businesses that were all trying to capitalize on that audience that we had built in real estate, which I realized was the exact wrong approach. Like I was way off. So once I realized that that was the wrong approach and I kind of shifted things, um, I, I got, got myself out of all those businesses, all that other stuff I was doing and just focused on the one thing, which is kind of how I, that brings us up to where I'm at today, where I'm just focusing on growing the agency. That's really interesting. So, I mean, you're, you've been like all over the place with, uh, with what you've been doing. So what I'm curious about is, is the, the, like personally, the transition from being a like a, I don't know if you're familiar with rich dad poor dad but like a, a, an s quadrant employee to being like or sorry uh, an e, -quad e quadrant employee to like an s quadrant to you know eventually starting to build a team and a system around it to that b quadrant how did that sort of that transition take place mentally and you know what have sort of some, some of the struggles that go along with making that transition well, I was very fortunate in that I came out of the job at the agency and and picked up a consulting gig helping someone start their coaching consulting company and ended up having an equity stake in that company. So that helped kind of bridge the gap so that I wasn't, I wasn't in the freelance world because I got fired or let go or something like that to where I had to scramble to take any clients that came. I was able to right away start working with the right type of person. And to this day, that's, that's still one of the biggest success stories is how, is how we built that coaching consulting business and tied it in directly to the podcast because I was there on the ground floor and helped make those strategic decisions and how that business was positioned in the market, which is what I'm really excited to do. 
and to help people do. So yeah, the, the transition was probably smoother than it was for, for some other people. Um, the, real, uh, the real tough thing came when, by, by me taking the wrong approach to try to be a, a self-employed person and just the pain of getting into so many different things and then having to then refocus, get myself out of all that and, and refocus around one question, which was what's the one thing I sell to one type of person? Because I'd gotten essentially just off, off track. So how did, how did you know? Like what, what was the, the thing that, that triggered knowing like I'm going in too many different directions and what I need to do is focus? Like what was the trigger for that? Uh, the trigger was when I started to hate the meetings with the other businesses I was involved in. When I started to feel like I came away from every meeting with a, with a to-do list that was longer than everyone else's because all those businesses needed was like a, well, its own rock that had to be pushed up a hill. And everyone else was looking to me to be the person pushing the rock up a hill while they just kind of gave strategic direction, insight, whatever. I'm like, no, that's not gonna work. Like that, I can't, I can't push five rocks up, rocks up five different hills. So that was kind of the tipping point. For a while there, it was exciting. You know, it's fun. Like it's the, like the, in those early stages of a new venture, like it's all, it's just nothing but ideas and speculation and fun talking about the possibilities and stuff like that. Uh, it's when you get into the real work and you realize, oh, every single one of these little joint ventures is its own company. It's its own baby mm -hmm. that needs all the attention that any other startup needs. That was really the tipping point. It was when that dawned on me that every single one of these in order for it to actually work had to have somebody's full attention. It had to have somebody's heart and soul. And I couldn't have my heart and soul split up in five different places. And, and that's where you sort of made the decision to focus on one thing. Was there, when, so when, you, when you're looking at five different things like that, what was, what was the thing that made you choose what you're doing versus the other, the other businesses? Great question. A uh, couple of things. So number one, I, I knew enough about myself to know that I would probably only throw my energy into the thing that I had 100% control over. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, that's not everyone. That's me. Right? And that you could even call that a dysfunction. Yeah. But, but I knew that, that I just I know myself I'm that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think you're probably the same way. Um, but if I if I was to step back and look at it objectively, and if I could play nice in the sandbox with, with full-on partners and all I wanted to do was just grow the biggest, most successful business, I would have looked at it a little bit differently and I would have applied probably like the star principle, right, from Richard Koch's stuff. So which one is most likely to be the leader of a niche and that niche is growing at 10% a year? And there was a couple of businesses that I was involved in where that, there was a legitimate shot at that, right? And they're, and they're in some cases still doing well. Um, you know, of course, a couple of them didn't get off the ground once I got out of it because I was the one that <laughs> was the one that was doing all the work. You were the one pushing um, the rock up the hill. It started rolling yeah, back down the other ones, direction. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They reset. They rolled right back down to the bottom. But for the other ones where the other guys stepped in and like made sure that it, it, there was still somebody pushing, they did well and they are growing and all that stuff. So uh, what I just realized was that in one case, for example, I had a 10% equity stake in, in a coaching business with three other partners, right? So I was a, essentially a minority partner. It was almost like having um, a, what do you call it? Um, like a piece of the upside is what Jay Abraham would call it. If you go in as a marketing consultant and you ask for a piece of the upside, it's a very, very similar yeah. structure. What I realized is that for me to make $100,000, that I had to grow that business into a million dollar business like right now, just to make six figures on it. But I was already doing six figure quality work. I'm like, well, I can, if I'm only getting 10% of the business and I don't even get to determine what's profit, right? Cause somebody else is spending money that I can't control because I'm a minority part. I'm like, Nope, done out. 
got, I got out of it, got, gave up my equity. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So it's just that some of my, my business coach told me, he's like, man, there's so many ways. There's so many ways to make a business look unprofitable, even if it is. So if somebody else has an incentive to not make it look like there's a lot of profit in the business that needs to be split between other partners, they will do it. And there's, there's a strong temptation to do that. So anyway, point being, I got out of all that stuff, partially because I just knew that where my mental and emotional energy would run to is always the thing that I had the most control over so that I experienced 100% of the reward when it worked. Yeah, and how much, how much of that goes into like a desire for, um, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is the difference between autonomy and freedom, right? Um, and the desire to have the autonomy right? The, the, the self-direction to do what you wanted to do when you want to do it in your business and out, out otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's a good question. Cause I, I've, um, I, I, I would tend to consider them interchangeable. So I'd love to hear, we'll have to talk about your perspective on that. Cause now I'm curious. Um, <laughs> when I think, when I think about freedom and freedom is like, if uh, I, I sat down and did this exercise one time with a mentor of mine and, and freedom is my number one value. So it makes sense that I run a virtual team. I don't show up to an office. I work out of my home and Starbucks. I live by the beach and everybody else is around the country. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole design of my business is it's very obvious that freedom is my number one priority. But that's not to say like somebody else, if they thought of freedom differently, they might, they might find more freedom in having a business partner that takes care of all the stuff they don't want to do so that they can just kind of be themselves. So everyone has like a different perception of what freedom is. So freedom versus autonomy. I don't know. Um, I know I wanted to make yeah, the so decisions. That's, so that's where that's where my distinction is sort of coming is that difference. Okay. It's like so which freedom, is which? Yeah. So so the the autonomy is is like I get to be myself, right? I get uh -huh. to do the things I want to do, um, and freedom is like just the the ability to do those things, right? Okay. So okay. so hmm. you know if like if you talk monetary freedom, for instance. If I want to buy a yacht and I don't have the money to buy a yacht, I don't have the freedom to buy a yacht. Um, <laughs> you, have, you, have the, you have the autonomy, but not the freedom. All right. Yeah, I have the autonomy. I could buy a yacht if I had the money. <laughs> so, so, so there's nothing holding me back from buying a yacht. Autonomy plus resources, maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's freedom. It's, freedom. Anyways, it's, it's just yeah. it's just something I've been I've been noodling about trying to think of this. I was gonna say that's a deep philosophical question. There's probably some really good work out there by like John Locke or something like that. Yeah, um, something like that. There's like been that. autonomy and freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day of uh, um, another another podcaster, Ryan Moran, was talking about a lot of people get into entrepreneurship, get into business, seeking freedom um, when what they're really looking for is autonomy. And that's what sort of sparks the question in my head. Mm -hmm. And meaning like they're looking for the ability to choose where they work and like what hours they work. And they think that entrepreneurship is the answer to that. Um, and it's not really, I mean, it can be, um, but you can also, you can get that autonomy in specific job situations or with specific, you know, with other income means. Right. So, um, anyway, that's what sort of sparked the, the thought in my head was, was, you know, what, what are people actually looking for? And what were you looking for? Were you looking, yeah. were you looking for, you know, um, you were looking to actually grow a business and make a difference with people? Um, or were you looking just specifically for the autonomy and the business was just the method you got that you used to get that? Uh, no, I would say I want, I wanted both. And I think I figured out kind of what the gap is between those two, which is you have to be able to solve a big valuable problem in a scalable way. And so once I kind of like, and I, I semi knew that from watching my mentor do that and create a lifestyle of both autonomy and freedom by doing that. 
Um, so I, I had that kind of in my business DNA and uh, I knew that that was um, a path I should probably go down, I guess is the best way to put it. But yeah, I definitely wanted both. I mean, I, I want exponential freedom and impact. Like I want time freedom, financial freedom and location freedom, which you almost always never get all three, right? That's very, very yeah. hard to do. And to me, it all comes from what kind of problem you're solving and how are you solving it? Because it's one thing to find a problem that's not very valuable. That'll never get you there, right? You'll never, you might have time freedom, but you'll never have financial freedom. So you got to solve a, a valuable problem. But then you also have to do it in a way that's scalable because otherwise you'll end up just locking in yourself into a highly paid consulting job, which mm -hmm. that's no fun. I knew I didn't want that either. Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly when those things started to click. I would say that the last year is when it coalesced into being able to explain it that way. That's when, yeah. the, that's when the idea is kind of, but, but the, the germ of it was, um, was earlier than that. So I kind of knew that my goal was to have that one thing that I sold to one type of person. It just took me a while to figure out what the one thing and the one person was. Yeah. That's actually the, uh, the, my business name, like your registered business name is uh -huh. actually called five freedoms. Uh, really? Cause it's about those, those things. So my, the five freedoms that I, okay. I, I talk about is a uh, political freedom, which we enjoy in the U S spiritual freedom. Um, mm -hmm. And then time, location, and financial freedom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of people seek financial freedom um, when what they want is time or location freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something like I realized along the journey. It was like I, I, uh, um, and I talked about this a couple of times on the show before. I had I had an income goal that I wanted to hit because I was seeking seeking financial freedom, right? And I thought that income goal was the was financial freedom. Um, and realized along the way that I hit an income, I hit a hit an income level that let me do all the things I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and I was like, <laughs> I just don't care anymore about hitting yeah. that income goal. Um, and started focusing instead on the impact, the bigger problem, right? Right. That I was going to serve people, and then you know, like hit that income goal, like as as a side as a benefit. byproduct. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. A byproduct. And I like that approach. I think um, even if you're very economically driven, which I think both you and I share that in the sense that we're not as economically driven as we could be. We're somewhere in the middle. We're not, you know, it's not that we don't care. We absolutely care, but it's not our highest priority. I think for people that, um, you know, if that's, if that's you, if you're, if you, if you listen to that and go, yeah, like that's, you know, that, like that's me, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, it's, but even if you are, it's still better to think about it from the other person's perspective, right? The person that you're serving, right? So flipping it, like it's still a good mental exercise. Even if you're super economically driven and you're like hard charging and you're, you know, like I'm going to be a millionaire. Great. Still think of the other person first, right? Because that's yeah. still just still about think of the value. Yeah. Still think of the value. Uh, so I think if we flip that around and our focus first is on the problem that we're solving and who we solve it for, if we can get those two things right, the rest of the stuff can flow, right? You can even pay someone to make what you do scalable and and less burdensome on you you know what i'm saying um i mean that's part of what you do is help people take their the knowledge that's trapped inside their head that's super super high level and customized and put it into a a form that's not customized that can be sold and leveraged and maximized and make a profit off without it having to be customized in a one-on-one -on -one yeah. relationship so like if you can just get a couple of things right all the rest of the stuff you can you can pay to have done yeah um and that's that's sort of where I'm at in my business is like, I have to figure out who that person is and what the actual problem is. And I'm working on like narrowing that problem down um, and realizing that a lot of the things that I do fit into a specific problem, but I never really had that problem. What do you call it? Like named, like mm -hmm. figured out. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is the problem I'm solving. It was like I solve all these little things, mm-hmm. and they all fit together into a bigger problem. I'm just sort of getting to that point in my business where I'm like, okay, I know really what good. I know what the thing is that I'm I'm helping people do, um, and I think that's going to really help grow my business over the next year. Um, I agree. I'm gonna have to percolate on that for a while. So you have to name the problem. I like that. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I haven't, I haven't got there yet, but I think that's like, like that's the thing that's holding me back. Because I figure I need to like, I need to know what the problem is, mm-hmm. so so I can. Um, I know we've talked about this before. You don't have children. I've got children. One of the things that really fascinates me is like, children grow up without language, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like my, I have an infant right now. She doesn't say anything. Like, she doesn't know English. And I always am curious, what does she think in her head? Because like you and I, we think words, like right. <laughs> we think things. So if you don't have a language framework, what do you think? Right. What, like what's, what's in your head? You have nothing to grab onto, nothing to, to do. So like, I have no idea what goes on inside of a baby's head before they have language. <laughs> and I feel like that's my, my business's problem is like, yeah. I don't have a language to put around the problem that I solve. And if I had, mm-hmm. if I had the words, if I had a name for it, um, it would be easier to think about and grasp and talk to other people about and identify if that makes sense. I agree. I would also contend there's plenty of adults that also have that same problem, even though they do speak English. But that's, that's my, <laughs> that is my personal humorous opinion. But yeah, on, on a serious note, yes, you're absolutely right. And um, yes, the naming of the problem, uh, there, there's a really good book to check out. Have you read Play Bigger by Chris Lockhead? I haven't. All right, that he's got a really good part in there because part of what his consulting was to like tech firms in Silicon Valley was to name not just their solution, but to name the category. So he gives this example of a company named Origami, which was like marketing, you know, kind of like analyzing what's going on with your marketing, right? So it would monitor all of your social media channels, your emails and all this stuff that's going out and just kind of check out. The goal was to give you a dashboard to see what's going on with your marketing, right? Kind of broad, probably solves a lot of little different problems. But what he helped them do was lead them through the process to where they invented the category of, if I remember right, marketing signal measurement, right? So the problem was we can't measure our marketing and we have, no, we have all these signals coming in that they're just going nowhere, right? We really don't know how to, how to analyze it. And uh, so Susie, he's got some really good stuff in that book about how, how do you name your category? And I think that's really what it is, is you're, it's not just the category, you're actually naming the problem. Yeah. Right. So I think that'd be, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to actually, after we get done with this, I might go back and reread that chapter because it's, it's really good. Um, and it's sort of, it's, it, it seems like you're sort of, you're almost just past that point in your business where you, you know who the person is and what the problem you're solving is and how you're going to solve it. I feel like I'm almost there. <laughs> well, it's so, a, it, you know, the name of the game is sacrifice. That's yeah. the toughest part, right? Um, we were talking about this before we hit record. There's the Gary V envy, which we want to be everything to everyone because we want to be yeah. that visible. So we're not willing to sacrifice the fantasy of being that. Uh, and the other flip side of that is that even if, we, even if we don't have that fantasy of being like the next Gary Vee or Tony Robbins, we also have the fantasy of being able to serve a bunch of different people and mm-hmm. do different things and scratch our creative itch. Um, the thing that set me free from that a little bit was um, it was in the business of expertise by David Baker. He basically makes the point that, look, if you're, if you're letting clients pay you to figure stuff out all the time, you just got to know that you're letting them pay you to dabble, right? Yeah. Which is interesting. I actually, had, like, yeah. I actually had a client that, um, that they were like, I have this problem I want solved. And I was like, that problem's never been solved before. And, <laughs> and, and, yes. and, and, and they were like, so what would you charge to solve it? And I was like, I, was like, I, I don't know that I can. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, but if you want to pay me, here's my rate to pay me, pay me to play. Yes. Right? 
And, and I will. And that's the thing is you authentically told them that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. And I was like, yep. if, if you want to pay me to play, it will probably take me three or four months to figure something out if I can. It mm -hmm. might not be solvable. And we solved a big problem for them over the course of that time. And they were very excited. And I've used it in a lot of different ways now and helped a lot of clients using that. But it was like, you know, it was, um, in, it's like realizing the difference between innovation and implementation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so, I, impl I implement. I let others innovate. And then mm -hmm. I come in and systematize and I want to implement and I want to implement for the exact right person that I want to serve following yeah. yeah things that are already proven so that yeah that you and i are very different in that that sense i like to in innovate on ideas i don't like to innovate on tactics yeah i am i am uh um i i like i like the innovation process but like what one of the things that uh that really really drives me is i like to both figure out the thing and then figure out how to systematize the thing Right. That's part of yeah. like, to me, that's like the innovation. Once you can figure out how to make it so that it just happens, whether or not it's, uh, you know, people or robots or whatever, that you just have a system that like triggers things mm -hmm. um, that I think to me, that's part of the innovation. And it's what uh, it was the thing I had to figure out for myself because I am far more attracted to the innovation than the implementation and realized if I never figured out how to do the implementation, I would never make any money with anything. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm one of those people that like once, you know, if something's not clear and I have to figure it out, like that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. um, and then as soon as I figured it out, then I don't care anymore. Yep. yep. So I have to have a reason to care past having figured it out. Yeah, that's um, and for me, that's figured out how to care about implementation. Yeah. And that for me, that's making systems that other people can make those things happen. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, you mentioned being in the education space. That was one of the things that I've, um, I've noticed in the education space is that you have, you have a, a vast like range of how good content is um, from stuff that is like people who don't really know how to teach their things to people who are really, really good educators. Um, and what I've noticed is that the people with a, uh, with a poorly put together education, um, the people who are like freight trains, right? People who just like to figure things out and innovate, they can take that and have success. And there's yes. enough of those people that you can get success stories and you know con enough people to buy your training and then like all the other people who buy your training and never get results are they think there's a problem with them yep right um and really there's a problem with training mm -hmm. um and then you have you have like really good training where lots of people can get results there's fewer of that there's fewer like really really good training materials that, it, that are out there for people um but a larger sec it helps a larger segment of people mm -hmm. um like implement and one of the things i've noticed is like if I get really, really good training from someone, I'm like, I understand it and I don't care. <laughs> because, because I'm like, I'm like I've got it. There's nothing to figure out. Yeah, that's hilarious. As, as like, as, if I understand it quickly, then I just, I, you know, there's, I, have to, I have to have a reason to care. So that's where like building systems around, around the implementation is, that's the game I have to play with myself. Yeah, that's so funny. Make me yeah, care. It's, it, it just, I think it goes to show you that you know, because I know you want to talk about like superpowers and stuff like that and, and how that relates to the businesses that we build. Uh, that's why I think it's so important to lean into the stuff that we're really good at 
and for the mm-hmm. most part, find a way to let go of our weaknesses. Now you found it, you found like in your particular case, you had a weakness that you felt like was holding back your strength. You couldn't even monetize your, the strength of figuring out something new because the implementation side was holding you back, which I agree, but you're also not working on to get better at doing the mundane part of running the systems, right? You hire people for that. Hire people for that. Yes. There's always a, there's, I think one of the hardest decisions we make as business owners and entrepreneurs is what strength do you, what strength do you maximize and to the exclusion of just not worrying about those other weaknesses and what really is a weakness that that has Mm -hmm. to be addressed and turned into a strength. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like how do you figure out what is worth it, worth like putting effort into Mm-hmm. Um, just like as a, as an example, um, when I was a kid, I was very introverted, like mm-hmm. didn't talk to strangers kind of thing. Like I did, you know, I had like my two friends at school, like, and that was it. And I didn't talk to anyone else, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, um, I remember very specifically thinking at one point in my high school career, that I was like, if I'm ever going to have an influence on anyone, I need to learn to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and recognizing that as a weakness that I needed to turn into a strength. And, you know, nowadays, like I went, I went to preacher training, right. And (laughs) that's what I went, I got my college degree in. Um, And, you know, I've probably spoken live in front of, you know, thousands upon thousands of people across my career now, because it's something that I wanted to make a strength um, because I knew I needed to have that. So, but on the same token, like learning how to click all the buttons in the Facebook ad thing, just drives me bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, me too. yeah, it'll always drive me bonkers. And like, I could get good at it, but like, why? Yeah. <laughs> when you can hire someone else to, uh, um, and I think like just thinking about it, I think the reason or the, the difference is like stuff that only you can do versus mm-hmm. stuff that anyone could do. Right. Yep. Um, if like learning to communicate, learning to talk to other people, like I can't pay other people to talk to people for me. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like something I either exactly. have to I have to get better at it or or I just don't have that in my life. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's one of those that yeah, I mean for sure, uh the public speaking thing, I mean it's hard. You know, it's like it's hard to be a let's say a writer speak like writer consultant type if you never mm-hmm. speak. Right? And part of like getting good at speaking, for example, is it's it, there's the talking to people, there's the interpersonal part and then there's the part of just like being on stage and and being comfortable talking to people. Um, if you're on the introverted side, it helps a lot to like force yourself to speak because it also helps you force, it forces you to clarify your thinking process, which is a very good thing. It's a lot of the same reason why it's good to write a book, even if you don't really plan to sell many copies or whatever, just the process will, will clarify things. And that helps turn that into, you know, from a weakness into a strength. If you're introverted and you're not confident in exactly what you're going to say, you're probably not going to feel super confident. But if you're an introvert, and you do know exactly what you're going to say because you've worked it out, that makes it a lot easier and it gives you that confidence. So yeah, it's, it it's, uh, gives one you a of lot the things of things I learned. One of the things I learned in, uh, in preacher training was the difference between someone who uh, will get up and, and speak from a bullet point outline versus someone who will speak from a script and realized because I was introverted, like I, I can't swing from the hip real well or I couldn't. Mm. Um, so I would script my, um, script the things that I wanted to speak and memorize them mm-hmm. and memorize them to the point where I could get up and I just knew it backwards and forwards. And it allowed me to, to be able to speak more from the hip, like to speak more freely. Yeah. Um, right. So you could, you have to clarify your thinking and really know and have confidence in what you want to say. Um, and it helps you move forward. Yeah, so, but to your point, superpowers, right? <laughs> uh, you know, 
it's it's in in your business what would you say one of your superpowers is that you know the things that you really help solve for your clients that's helped you grow your business help you get to where you are uh so I would say probably two, two and a half years ago, um, I remember very clearly writing this on a red post-it note uh, in my place. The business only needs three things from me. Uh, it was strategy, copywriting, project management. So that, that was like the start of my quest to get everything else off of my plate in the business that wasn't one of those three things. Um, I don't remember what it was, what the catalyst was for kind of that dawning on me, um, but it kind of hit me all of a sudden, like, hey, the business only needs three things three things. And it was kind of that thing of like, Hey, this is in my business right now. These are the three things that actually, uh, I'm the only one that can do them or, or I significantly change the outcome when I step in and do them. Like, it's not that I didn't have a writer, but I write differently. It's not that I didn't have somebody who could manage projects, but I, I'm the one that, that pushed, push, push until stuff got done on my timetable. Uh, now I'm in the business or at the point in the business where it's even less, I don't do much of the project management anymore. Um, now the business really just needs strategy, um, copywriting, and maybe visibility, you know, consistent visibility from me, you know, podcasting, getting interviewed, stuff like that. So it changes and morphs. Um, but those are, I would say those are my, those are my strength. Those are my superpowers. I would call them X factors is the things that um, some unique attribute ability or characteristic about you that makes you different so that when you step into something, you change the outcome. So of those three, which ones do you think are innate talent versus which ones are things or skills that you've developed or a blend thereof? Well, the project management is definitely a skill born out of necessity. Uh, it's not something I enjoy. Copywriting is closer to, um, you know, just a skill that I actually enjoy. Like I'll, I will, I will never not write. Like I, I am a writer. Uh, the, the strategy thing uh, what I think is interesting about both of our backgrounds coming from like a, like constantly growing up playing with doctrine and, and theology is that it's nothing but a battleground of ideas. Yeah. What's cool about Absolutely. that is that's marketing. Marketing is a yeah. battleground of ideas. That's what I love about marketing. So I didn't realize, uh, I didn't realize years ago that that's why I was drawn to marketing. But what's funny is what, that even while I was like full on, running towards being in full-time ministry, I was reading business books on the side, right? 80-20 rule, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and the reason I think now I look back on it is that I, it, was, it was ideas. I love playing with ideas and I love pitting ideas against each other to see what's right and what's not. And Which to me- it stands up. Yeah, so the, to me, that's the, probably the, out, of, out of the superpowers that you could say that I have, um, the strategic thinking, I think is the one thing that's tied most closely to just natural innate ability is I grew up around a dad who was always studying, always reading, always thinking, debating theology. And so that was fun for me as a kid. And so uh, like whatever natural talent there was, was also enhanced by being in an environment that valued that and constantly reinforced it and put it to use, which I, I think probably was the way you grew up too. So you're always, always fighting for your ideas, playing devil's advocate. You know what I'm saying? Like trying yeah. to fit, like I, I'm a, I, I look at things and see where things mismatch. So if I look at something, and somebody says something that contradicts what they believe, like I spot it, right? No, that doesn't, that doesn't fit with that. And I'm always in search for getting closer to the point where things line up and everything fits, right? Yeah. So I want yeah. to have so the, the only, the only test for truth is consistency. Uh, it's not the only test. There's also results. But yes, I want, I do want things <laughs> to be, if something is not internally consistent, it bothers the hell out of me. 
Yeah. Oh man. It just gives you the heebie jeebies. You're like, no, oh. gotta fix it. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, um, I was the same way. I grew up, uh, um, I convinced my parents at some point in my life. I don't remember when this was exactly, but instead of sending me to boys and girls club after school, they should let me go to Barnes and Noble and I would sit in Barnes and Noble and read all the books I couldn't afford to buy. <sighs> Oh, um, wildly <laughs> jealous. I had to go to the library like a common peasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like the library have Robert Kiyosaki's books, which I wanted to read at that point in my life. They were all new, and so they weren't in the library yet. Um, but yeah, and I, you know, I discovered like this whole huge section of Barnes and Noble that's just filled with, with books like that. But yeah, and it's it's really interesting that whole battleground of ideas. The thing that fascinated me about both ministry and about marketing today and copywriting is how much power words have to change people's actions yep right there we're having this this battle sort of like i don't know in our at least in our country about you know whether or not words hurt people <laughs> which i think is insane um because i don't think words hurt people like they don't cause physical harm to people right but words are our instruments of change they're mm -hmm. tools yeah. um and um it's it's really it, it's endlessly fascinating that if you string the right words together in the right order at the right time for the right person you can change their life. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, you know, that's, it's fascinating to me, whether that is helping them get started on a diet or getting their podcast going or, you know, helping them get their spiritual life in order. Like there's so many things that happen and it's always words and marketing that help people. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm, you know, a capitalist through and through is because it's that value that we, uh, um, you know, if, if I'm providing value to someone else um, and helping them solve problems, um, mm -hmm. then, you know, we have that mutual exchange of, of, uh, of goodness. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, and, and specifically, I think there is a, there is a, what would you call it? A theoretical underpinning that people need to understand about capitalism, which is that it, it really is the free exchange of two people deciding that that exchange is more valuable than whatever they have in their hand. No one forces that to come together. No one forces that exchange yeah. to be made. It is the ultimate expression of both autonomy and freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think we should absolutely take pride. And this is something I struggle with a little bit coming from the religious world into the business world that I think we shouldn't struggle with, especially in a free society where all of these exchanges are voluntary, right? We shouldn't struggle with, are we profitably helping someone and profiting in the process because they should be getting more out of it. They should feel like they're getting the best end of the deal. And we feel like we're getting the best, like both sides should feel like they got a great end of the deal. That's the point. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't have voluntarily entered into that to begin with, right? Yeah, no, um, no one so, volunteers for torture. No, exactly. Uh, and so I, I, it took me a little bit to let go of the mindset that business was somehow less than ministry or that was somehow tainted or that there was an issue with making more money, right? Because people that made more money were taking from other people. Like, no, no, like not in a free society. If you live in some yeah. other form of society, maybe, you know, feudalism, absolutely. Like you were, if you were rich, it was because you owned the land and the other people were working the land for you. It's not like that anymore. Um, so I think now, it, like if we, if we really understand capitalism better, it helps, un, it helps us run our businesses better because we understand that what we get paid is a percentage of the value that we're delivering to the other person. And the only question is, if they agree that we're providing value, the only question is, what percentage do we deserve? Yeah. And that's one of the exercises I do with my children um, is uh, we go to, as, as we go around life, one of the things I, I call out for my son all the time, because he's just one like, like, capable of like understanding this at this point is like, what is this person doing, right? And what's the value 
to the world? And then how do you think they get compensated for that? Ooh, so, yeah. um, right. Um, so everything from like the guy who's twirling signs on the corner, right. He's providing the value of a pole, right. Mm. <laughs> like a dancing <laughs> pole. He probably gets compensated, you know, in, in that realm. And same thing, like, you know, the, the waiter at your, your restaurant gets compensated for bringing your food and taking your order and doing a good job with that and getting tips like that. And then like, what about the person who owns the restaurant? What are they getting compensated for, right? What's the value they're providing, right? And they're, you know, they're serving a much larger group of people than the waiter is, yeah. right? Because of, you know, just the business and the system that goes into it. So yeah, it's, it's you, mm. get, you, get a, you get paid in direct proportion to the value you provide. Um, and like, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to like, how do you learn to see the world in terms of value exchange? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not easy and it doesn't come easily to most people. That's a great mental exercise. Uh, I've never heard of anybody doing that and I'm, I'm probably going to steal that and uh, like, that's how, that's probably how I think now. Um, I think one of the things that was the most helpful for me was reading Jay Abraham's book, how to get everything you can out of all you got. And he goes I haven't into, read that book, but I've heard it's really, really good. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. oh, so good. The strategy of preeminence, like joint venture deals. Anyway, point being, uh, he really delved into like what, what is the soul of your business, right? And, and like that's also where I picked up the phrase, which is, um, you know, he calls nobody customers or users. That's, that's a, like, don't, don't ever say the word users around Jay Abraham. You call them clients because the word client means someone who is under the protection and care of another. And that's how you should treat everybody. Even if you are just a SaaS company, you should treat them as clients, right? So that's where I, like, that's where that kind of approach came from for me, which I think fits in very nicely with um, if you have a religious upbringing or background or whatever, and you care about what you're doing and the impact that you're making, treating everybody as if they're under your protection and care does flip your, your business mentality around from thinking constantly about what you want to get out of the business to more of what you're contributing to other people, which I think ends up driving your own success anyway. Yeah. So you said something a couple of minutes ago um, that triggered another thought that I, I'm curious if, if you would classify this as a superpower in your own life um, is the ability to, when someone says something or believes something or thinks something to be able to take that to its absurd level um, okay. where, where um, because when you, when you take, when you take an idea to the extreme, that's really where you, where you test them, where they, whether or not they hold water is at the right. extremes. And I'm, I, I feel like you're the kind of person that as soon as someone says something or thinks something or does something, you're like, here's how that plays out if you take it all the way this way or the other direction. Um, is I that think that's probably true. I, I think, yeah, because I think if, you're, if you debate ideas, that is one of the easiest ways to make it obvious when something isn't right or to try to point out to somebody else how obvious it is that it should be, um, you know, that it's right or wrong is to, yeah, carry it out to the extremes. I've never thought about that. That's a good question. Um, I can tell you this, my sense of humor absolutely runs that way, which is to take yeah. things to the absurdity, right? So yeah, it must be something about the way that my brain works. So yeah, maybe that is, I've never thought about it, but I would, yeah, maybe that is a superpower. Well, I killed my camera. So um, I'll have to, uh, to here, oh, yeah. we'll, I have, I have a backup camera because, you know, I'm, oh, I'm like I think that. we're back. Nope, it's no, just being weird. We'll no, just switch to the right. other camera. Oh, there we go. Either way. Backup camera. Um, <laughs> of, course, of course you would have a backup camera. Always have a backup camera. It's not as clear as the other one, but I do have it. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the other side of the superpowers is the fatal flaw. Yeah. So fatal flaw, you know, Superman has his kryptonite. Batman's not actually a superhero, though he is, uh, you know, he's pretty cool. 
Um, what, what would you say something that you have in your, in your business, in your life, your personality that has held you back or kept you from really succeeding at the level you probably would if you didn't have that or struggle with it? And more importantly, what have you done to sort of overcome it? Hmm. Well, I definitely have, have started shifting the question that I ask myself from how can I get this done to who can do this? So that's probably the best answer to all of that in, in the, the shortest possible way I can give it, which is I think my fatal flaw was way overestimating how much success came down to my own personal effort and productivity and hustle and realizing that for the most part, that's not true. It's actually way more about thinking, good decision-making, and building systems that are run by other people, which, is, which for yeah. someone with just like a Puritan kind of work ethic, that the, the best way to get ahead is just put your head down and work harder. Like that is my, that is my fatal flaw, I would say. It's just my, that's my natural tendency is that I have to constantly remind myself, don't just step in and do it. When it comes to training, when it comes to building systems, when it comes to the bit, whatever, don't just step in and do it. Um, yeah, which, which, you know, like that sounds like, it sounds like it's a horrible job interview where, you know, like, oh, my fatal flaw is that I work too hard and I care too much. But when it comes to building wealth, that is a fatal flaw, right? Yeah. It's, um, who was that? It was, um, it was Von Clausewitz, the guy that wrote On War. He said something to the effect that the, the officers that you wanted to promote were the lazy, intelligent ones. They were the ones that were fit for leadership. The smart, industrious, hardworking ones were only meant for middle like officer status. He's like, they'll never rise above that. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's something that I've had to change in my own life too, for my business. Yeah. Um, and I realized, um, and I like uh, our mutual friend, Zach, I was speaking with last night and I was like the, one of the, the things that I hold pretty dear to myself, like as an identity thing is like, nobody can compete with me because I will absolutely work you under a table. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and I just, I know that by myself after, you know, 20 years of uh, running businesses and doing these things is like, you know, the, the, the phrase drink you under a table means that I can continue to drink long before you've passed out from being drunk. Right. right. So, you know, work you under a table is like long before you've like died, I will still be going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the, 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 the problem that I realized that I was having in my business was that is a massive bottleneck. Mm -hmm. If you apply that to your own labor right and yes. and how you know how how um because i i've only got like even if i did work every waking moment of my life and never slept i still only have 24 hours in a day yeah right and the moment that i bring on someone else and now i have doubled my labor capacity and that leverage is so much more powerful so I have to, I had to, for myself, the, 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 you mentioned, you know, can I do it versus, you know, how, how can I have someone else do it? Like that was a, a game changing question for you. And for me, it was, um, it was asking myself, uh, basically, uh, I had to, I had to hire someone mm -hmm. full time um, because the question I was asking myself is, is it worth it to hire someone or is it worth it for me to do it? Mm -hmm. And I was making like a value judgment and I always won out because it's cheaper to hire myself and yeah. I can get it done faster exactly the way that I want it done. Um, and that was a huge bottleneck. And I had to make that shift to like, I'm paying this person. Now my question is not, should I do it myself or should I hire someone? The question is, 
how can I fill their time with the work that needs to get done? Yeah. Um, right. How can I, how can I get something off of my plate and onto theirs? Mm-hmm. Um, and that changed, it, it changed the game for me. Um, and realized that now I can take that effort of, of, uh, um, you know, being willing to work someone to the table. I call mm-hmm. it being aggressively lazy. Now I will work <laughs> yes. really, really hard, <laughs> yes. really, really hard. So I never have to work again. Right. So I, I will build robots. I will build systems. I will hire people. Mm-hmm. I will train people. I will work you under a table to build a leveraged system. Yeah. Um, that's like <laughs> to our, our conversation a little bit earlier. How do you turn something that's weakness into a strength? Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's a great, there's a great line. I'm a huge fan of scrubs. I used to fall asleep to it every night back in the day. There's a, there's a great line where somebody was giving a hard time about something. He's like, what? I have a new exercise program. It's called short bursts. And that, that's what that, <laughs> that's what I thought of when you were talking about that. Cause yeah, uh, the, the game is to, to be your best in very short bursts and then rest and relax and read and think and you know all that stuff uh it's the warren buffett approach to success is what i would call it i I love his schedule and his approach to things what's funny is um i was talking to a client here a couple weeks ago and he just threw out a couple of book recommendations and i I didn't think much of it so i just ordered them right off the bat and sent them sent them to me right so one shows up it's called as many reps as possible and it's how like how to squeeze the most out of every minute of every day i haven't cracked it since i saw the cover (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, not, not interested, not, not interested. Not me. No, like, cause that, that's not that to me, that's not the wealth building game. That's, yeah. that's the high performance game. If you want to be a highly paid salesperson. And if you're sitting on the couch right now, you might need that mentality to get you up off your couch and just doing anything, which is probably what the book was for. But I think for those of us that are, that have a business where it can be scaled or has any shot at scaling, like that's not the challenge anymore. The challenge isn't how to squeeze the most out of every minute of every day. And I think that the search for that is actually counterproductive. To me right now, the search is how do I create the right environment, the right systems where I can plug in the right people to where they run hard and I don't have to. Yeah. And one of the things uh, Zach said to me a while back that really unlocked things for me was one of the questions you should ask yourself is not how do you get as much out of every minute of the day, but how do I put in an hour and get 10 hours back? Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, that's really, it's the game we're playing. And as your business grows, I assume that's going to be how do I put in an hour and get a hundred hours back or put in an hour and get a thousand hours back. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, you know, just, bringing, you know, bringing it to the absurd. Right? If you look at, you know, if Tim Cook puts in an hour, how much effort happens in the company mm-hmm. for Apple? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. probably millions of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when they're yeah, like, hey, we're going to work. about like decision-making and strategy, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, so how, how do you apply that type of thinking to a business that's my size? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do, you know, and, I, I, anyways, I think that's a, it's a really important skill and like transition to make when it comes to figuring out your fatal flaw and like actually making some changes for your business. Cause it's, you know, I've grown my business like four X since I made that shift. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, yeah, that's awesome. powerful. Yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit about your common enemy. So common enemy is, um, I like to think of it in terms of your clients, right? When you bring on a client, they have mindsets, they have things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Something that you know, if you could just wave your magic wand and remove this from their thinking, that you would able to, to skyrocket their results faster or better. 
if they weren't being held back by this? What, do, what would you say that is in your business? Mm. Is it the Gary V envy? It's the Gary V envy. It is. It totally is. Oh my gosh. It, it is. That's what it is. Um, ego is the enemy. When it comes to, when it comes to influencers, ego is a double edged sword because it's the thing that propels us to become an influencer. And it's the very thing that'll hold you back from actually being influential if you let it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, I think there is like anything else, there's good and bad to it. It's like fire. You can use it to drive you and build a fire that, that heats the, the house or can burn it down. It just depends on, on the, the level. When, when I get on with somebody and I've only talked to them two times for a grand total of 10 minutes and two conversations. And in both those conversations, they found a way to shoehorn the fact that they've sold Leonardo DiCaprio a house, like not, not interested, right? I'm, I'm already out. Don't care. Not not interested in working with you. Um, but yeah, because the, to me, like the, the quest to be Gary V, the next Gary V, is more about us than it is about the audience. Because what we have to understand about the audience is that they want a solution that's tailored to them, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Unless, you, unless you become a legit celebrity to the point where it's a status symbol to work with you, which is why people continue to pay Tony Robbins for coaching, right? Yeah. So unless it's a status symbol to work with you, unless you can reach a level of celebrity to where it's a status symbol to work with you, then people want people would rather have a solution or a service or an influencer that's mm, just right, tailored right to them, right? So it's yeah. a lot easier, and I think better for the for the audience to come out and say, "Hey, I don't serve all these other people. I serve you, right? I understand your problem. It's such a deep, intimate, specific level that I have a different." more effective solution to that problem because I understand your problem better than anybody else. How do you say that to everybody? Well, you can't, right? So the whole split to me, like specialization is like a a, a current of a river and going out there and delivering a general message to a whole bunch of different people, just because you want to be the next Gary V is like swimming up against the current. A few rare people do it. Everybody else gets swept down river. So for the, for me, like Gary V has had as, as much as I might like him on a personal level, I think he's a, he seems to be a good dude. He might not spend a lot of time with his family, but he doesn't seem to be a bad person. But the practical effect of his status is that I have, I have people coming to me for podcasting because they want to be the next Gary V. And the negative is I have people coming to me for podcasting because they want to be the next Gary V. So I have to like shift them over and get them to realize that, hey, let's, let's set that fantasy aside for a while. And let's zero in on the people that you want to serve and impact. And let's tailor, uh, like, let's figure out what your clear and compelling idea is that will cut right through the noise instead of trying to just contribute to the noise by saying the same thing that everybody else is and just try to say it more often, right? To me, that's a losing strategy. And one of of the things that I've noticed, because I I work with clients in lots of different industries, is Mm -hmm. you realize Gary Vee's big. He's big in a general space. You realize, like, on the various like piles of people, <laughs> like there, there are, there are people you've never heard of that have humongous influence in their space. Yeah. 100%. Right? And yeah, like everything from like early childhood education. One of the, one of the clients I worked with for a while, she's like, she's like the, the top of the top for early childhood educators, like in the world. And she gets flown around to countries all over the place to speak about early childhood education and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of teachers all over the world flock to her events and to her things. And she's got a humongous level of influence for mm. early, early childhood educators. She's yeah. the Gary V of early childhood education. 
And I guarantee you, if I said her name, you wouldn't know it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Cause, right, because that's it. it um, and I, I think that that's the disconnect is people think they want to be Gary Vee because everyone knows their name, right? And mm-hmm. you don't need everyone to know your name. You need your people to know your name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a high, yeah, all, all the goal is, the goal should be, I should say, for influencers especially, to be famously influential to exactly the people that you want to serve and impact. And if other people ever come along for the ride and know who you are outside of that group, it's gravy. Yeah, and it goes back to that whole, like, knowing who you're speaking to thing. One of the uh, preacher training lessons we got in college was, uh, was really simple. And it was the idea that if you speak to a group of people um, and you, you ask someone in the audience, look them in the eye and you ask them a question, have them not respond and then just ask the audience, who did I ask that question to? Raise your hand. Mm. The person that you asked and a huge circle around them will all raise their hand. You asked me that question because you were talking to someone specific. If you repeat the process and you look in between two people, so you're not actually looking at someone in the eyes and ask the question and then ask the audience who you asked the question to, no one will raise their hands because you weren't speaking to anyone specific. Yeah. Um, And like that's, that's, it's just, it's just an eye contact thing. Right. Um, But there's, there's some psychological stuff that goes into that into when you're actually speaking to a specific person, other people will come along for the ride to your point. Right. You know, but you have, you have your, your person. um, And, the, the people who are around them, who are close to them, you know, if you're in Facebook, the lookalike audience, right? <laughs> they'll, uh, they'll, yeah. they'll dive with your message, right? They'll, they'll get yeah. there. And that's how you get a larger audience. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think of the same thing when it comes to like the first follower, if you remember that YouTube video, like one guy gets up in a crowd of people and starts dancing. The only way a group of people will follow him is somebody has to be the first person to get up and follow and that it's kind of that same thing, right? It's um, you have to be able to get somebody to raise their hand and say, oh my God, that's me. You're talking about me. And then other people go, no, no, that's me too. I, like I, I have that problem, right? If nobody stands, if the first person doesn't stand up and say, yep, you're talking right to me. You're, you're solving my big valuable problem. Let's pull the trigger and go. If you can't get that person to say yes, then the group of people around them aren't going to say yes either. So yeah, the more specific, I think that's a great yeah. example of the more specific we get, the more enthusiasm we can generate from one type of person. Yeah, they're going to send us referrals and we're going to get spillover into other niches. I mean, I do, you know, like I don't only produce podcasts for real estate business coaches Uh, that brought in investor coaches, uh, people in infinite banking, you know, just like these kind of mortgage infinite, like um, not infinite, but like uh, interrelated or adjacent, I should say industries, but I didn't actually target any of those industries. I didn't go after mortgage coaches, right? Um, It all came from just speaking really, really deeply to one niche and then the spillover effect got me clients in those other niches. Absolutely. Yeah. So move on and talk about the opposite side of the common enemy, right? If Gary okay. V envy is the common enemy. So okay. about the driving force. It's if, okay. if Gary V envy is what you fight against, what is it that you fight for, right? Spider-Man fights to save New York. Batman fights to save Gotham. Google fights okay. to index all the world's information and spy on us. <laughs> what is it that you fight for? Um, I, I want every influencer to have an ally in the battle for attention. So my big thing is like, I don't want to just produce podcasts, right? I want to help people who have something to say, like actually deliver it into the hands of the people that it's most helpful to. 
And so the big change that I want to make is I don't want to just produce podcasts. I want to raise up a whole army of people that are working for influencers all over the world, doing a few things, getting them featured on podcasts, producing their podcast, right? For the expert, right? Uh, and then splitting all that stuff up into short form content to go out in sales support and on social media. Right. So, so my vision of the world is that every business influencer, like a coach or a consultant or whatever, has a person on their team who is their ally in the battle for attention. That person does nothing but run their new media machine, get them featured on podcasts, host their show, split it up into micro content. Right. And if you have a bigger team than that, if you end up needing more, more people to do more stuff, great. Like Gary Vee has 19 people on his personal brand content team. I don't think most of us will ever need 19 people, right? But I do think we, most of us need one person. So that's the change that I would like to see. I, th I think we need to stop doing it all ourselves and we don't need a lot of high priced agencies out there doing it for us. I think for the most part with the right training and equipment, somebody can do a, most of this stuff in house. And then we can selectively work with agencies and experts to set the strategy and make the changes that will make things more effective and then just keep going. So you said something I want you to expand upon a little bit, just cause I think um, people will miss it. The battle for attention. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I firmly believe right now that what we're looking at is we're looking at the um, in order, in order to make sales, right. In order to continue to have the free exchange of ideas and the, the free exchange of value from one to the other um, you have to, you have to get attention before you get sales. Right. Yeah. Um, and without attention, you don't get sales. And the problem is attention, how you get attention has just drastically changed in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious your thoughts on sort of that transition and where we're at now, and what you think the future of attention is. Well, I think the practical effect of Gary V is that we have prioritized attention to the exclusion of everything else. Uh, almost like we're a circus that blows in and out of town and any publicity is good publicity, like the old P.T. Barnum quote or whatever. The problem is we're not that, that as influencers, that's not us. We are not a circus. All good news, you know, all news is not good news, right? If we are not visible in a way that's consistent and congruent with our status as an authority figure, that attention doesn't help us. So like, funny, carrying it to the absurd, right? So if you put a, a niche business coach or a consultant and you put them on a reality television show, right? Are they going to get some visibility and exposure out of it? Absolutely. Does that mean people are going to flock to you for your core service? Maybe not. You know, maybe if you're on, um, if you were on the apprentice back in the day and you were positioned as an authority in your field, right? Maybe people would have reached out to you for what you did. But if you just get on a random reality show, if you just end up on, you know, survivor, right? Does that really like, that's all kinds of attention. It's all kinds of visibility, all kinds of exposure, no sales. And that, that's just an exaggerated version of what we do every day, chasing attention on social media by doing things like sharing what we're doing in our day and just all this random stuff, basically just trying to like be opportunistic and capitalize on opportunities to be visible. The problem is we're not being visible in ways that really create any demand or authority or relationships or anything like that. So I think the future of it, I think when it gets down to the future of attention, I think it's the fact that we have chased for about the last 10 years, just attention for its own sake. And we're realizing that attention for its own sake doesn't build successful businesses. Only consistent congruent attention builds successful businesses. So now, now the challenge yeah. is just how do, you, how do you attract attention in a way that's authentic uh, and still positions you as an authority? And one of, one of the things that I've been, uh, I've been 
you know, since social media came onto the ground, so to speak, um, it, the whole attention for attention's sake is like, you know, uh, I'm out eating dinner, here's a picture of my food is like the quintessential like attention for attention's sake. Nobody cares what you're eating. Mm-hmm. The reality, like it's just, it's just not a, um, maybe some people care, but most people don't care what you're eating. Um, and um, like trying to figure out like we now, everyone has a megaphone. And I think for the last 10 years, everyone has just been trying to figure out how loud they should yell and which direction they should point it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think where we're getting to is we're getting to like, you realize that you have to, you have to use your megaphone um, strategically mm-hmm. you you don't like you don't need to yell about everything that's going on in your life and <laughs> um, you don't need to yell yeah. it to everyone um, yeah. and because that's not that's not effective for your business and it's like one one of the things that always has sort of I don't know turned me off about social media I, I don't not a huge fan of it despite being someone who helps people with social media a lot um, I um, I, I travel all the time and do cool things with my kids and my family. And I frequently like people are like, what are you doing? And they ask me to post more on social media right. than you do. Um, and, and I probably like less than one tenth of the cool shit we do actually gets posted onto my page specifically for people who are following my travels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I'm just like, I just don't care enough whether or not you care what I'm doing. Um, and trying to figure out how like that translates into business of like, you need to know, what your message is and where you can find them um, and then use the megaphone effectively because you can, you can point it in the right direction if that makes sense. Um, and I think, I think you're absolutely spot on that figuring out how to use the attention, how to, how to use the attention specifically to your audience, how to grow that audience and then how to importantly stop the attention game and move on to the value game, right? How do I, we have that exchange of value um, because you know, to, uh, to the point with the whole Gary V envy, um, I can't even like really articulate to you what his business does because like, I don't know, like, I don't know what he, what problem he solves for people. Um, so he's got a lot of attention Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how that translates into solving problems for people because I don't know his business that well. Mm-hmm. And I think probably most people don't. Right. And I think what we need to re- get really good at is how do you turn the attention into providing value to people, like actually getting the business done, right? Right. Um, and yeah, anyways, I, I think that's that's sort of where we're going. Yeah, I, I think I think what Gary V sells is a life, an entrepreneurship lifestyle that other people want to have, which is why it works for him to share his videos of him in the back of a cab, looking like a you know like a homeless person that got beat up like on his way to an airport to fly out to another speaking gig, right? Cause he's selling a lifestyle to the, to a bunch of entrepreneurs that want to live the life, but he doesn't actually make a lot of money off of that. That's how Gary yeah. V sells. Gary V sells speaking engagements to those people. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? But where he really makes his money is off of VaynerMedia, which is taking all the following, all the attention that we give him on social platforms. He monetizes that by going to fortune 500 companies and saying, Hey, I know how to do this stuff and I can do it for you too. So we got to realize that what Gary V does is he's selling, he's using us to sell to fortune 500 companies. That's where the real money comes from. Right? So taking what he does and trying to use it to sell real estate coaching, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, in imitating everything that he's doing, thinking that it works. You understand he's playing a completely different game. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. There, there's a lot, there's a lot to say about that, but you have a whole I, podcast just on that. I know, I know. I hate to, I hate to go down that path because I, there's probably really nothing wrong with him. It's, it's, it's how we perceive the message. 
So I want to be very clear about that. There's nothing wrong with him. It's how we perceive it and how we internalize it. And it's the Gary V envy that you hit the nail on the head. It's the Gary V envy that's the problem. Ego is the enemy. Yeah. Are you tired of trying to write webinars that don't consistently convert? How would you like to have a webinar that effortlessly created sales in your online business? You can. Introducing the Webinar Alchemy Workshop. Webinar Alchemy Workshop is an online masterclass that will help you write incredibly persuasive webinars for your online courses quickly and easily. Using what you learn in this class, you can build a webinar that educates your entire audience while still creating sales. For a limited time, you can purchase this masterclass for only $7, and you'll get the exact framework I've personally used to help my clients sell more than a million dollars worth of online coaching and training just over the last year. Simply text the word ALCHEMY, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, to 444-999, and I'll send you all the details. The music is by Purple Planet Music. Visit www.purple-planet.com. And now, back to the show. So, I want to uh, get into one last question here. Mm-hmm. Um, which is your own personal heroes. Okay. Right? So Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors? Were they speakers or authors? Were they peers who were just a few years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished in your business so far? Mm. So I'll give you two. They were huge, instrumental. Uh, so one is the, the guy that founded the agency that I used to work for, still one of my best friends, one of the most grounded entrepreneurs I've ever met. He's not in mastermind groups. He will not, he, he runs one, but he's not part of other people's. Uh, he, you will not find him trying to chase the latest, greatest anything. He's one of like, he's one of those people that's so refreshing to go and talk to because he's so strategically insightful, but doesn't get caught up in the entrepreneurial rat race of always having to build, you know, 10 X his business. Um, so I appreciate that perspective. And then he's also one of the most systematic thinkers that I know and systems builders. And, and I appreciate that. So we connect a lot on that. So I, I love talking to him about that. And, and he's really the agency that he's built selling one thing to one person is always a model that I look to and steal stuff from, from my own agency. So that's number one. Number two is one of my clients, Jeff Cohn, who I started that, you know, I was a partner in his coaching consulting business for a while. And he is a guy who built a seven figure real estate business, which most people think of as insanely labor intensive. And he systematized and streamlined that thing to where he runs a million dollar business in one day a week. It's actually less than that. He probably runs it in two or three meetings a week, if you can believe that. So that gives him the freedom to do a bunch of other stuff. But that really, you know, like that was also kind of in my DNA. He was my first consulting client, you know. So like I really got to roll my sleeves up and, and help him build a layer uh, coaching consulting business on top of that, that initial business that he built. And yeah, like being around those guys, um, it just, it changes everything. Uh, of course, the books that I read, I read a ton and I could point out, you know, five or 10 mentors there. Uh, but those are the first two. Those are the ones that I would say are the most impactful. Uh, like, do you ever feel like the people who like Jeff Cohn, who run a seven figure business with just like one or two meetings a week, that they have some sort of magical power you don't quite understand yet? <laughs> because <laughs> I've... I, I've thought that in myself. I'm like, what are they doing? Like, wh- what magic power do they have that they're running this huge ship with just a few words <laughs> a couple times um, a week? You know, once I got around it, no. I, I said that that's part of what helped so much was getting around it because from the outside in, it's tempting to think, think that way. But then you get around it and you realize, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely strength. So there, there's also massive weaknesses. Um, so one of the things that I picked up from both of them was screw the weaknesses, just make the strength stronger. 
Um, but I also realized that, yeah, it's, it's, about, it's about building systems and plugging in the right people. And then the rest of it's just lead generation. If you have those three things, if you have lead generation, people, and systems, that's all you need. From there, it's all academic and leadership. You know, like it, from there, it's just kind of always developing as a leader. Um, <clears throat> so, though, yeah, that, that's what I kind of picked up from those two guys is the challenge is always leads, systems, and then people. Which one do you think is the uh, hardest for entrepreneurs to nail down? Strangely enough, I think it's systems. Because there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are good at generating leads. And by force of personality, they actually tend to attract good people. You know, um, the problem that those people have is that when they come into that entrepreneur's business, there's, there's not enough systems. And so they are expected to just kind of be that freight train, like you mentioned, that just kind of gets in and goes. And there's very few of those and they're rare and they're valuable, right? So if you find one, pay them because they're worth it, right? But most people aren't that. So I think where most entrepreneurs fall down is that we've kind of figured out how to generate leads and we can go out and we can find good people. The problem is what, what do we do when we plug them in? What are we plugging them into? Uh, so that's where I've tried to build my business up as much as I possibly can. I want to plug good people into really great systems so that my business doesn't depend on great people. You know, like if I find superstars, great. I don't want the business to depend on me having superstars. I want, I want to have rockstar systems so that I can plug good people in. That was one of the best things I picked up from Jeff Cohn is that he didn't want superstar agents on his team. He wanted great systems, good people. Yeah, because good people are uh, far more, um, what do you call it? Uh, there's more of them mm -hmm. and uh, they're easier to find. Yes. Right? Um, yeah, easier to find so, and they'll, and they'll so, stick around. You know, they're, they're not so focused on doing their own thing that they're only going to stay with you for six months while they build their, you know, their next rocket ship or whatever. So they're, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nothing wrong with having rock stars in your business, but most of the time they're short lived, right? It's the people that stick around longer and plug into your systems and do a good job. That really should be the foundation of the business. Absolutely. So let's bring it home for our listeners. What are the top one or two principles or actions you use every day that contribute to the success of your business? Ones that maybe you wish you had had when you started out. Hmm. Um, a better daily routine. So I wish I had started out with that. So I only work from seven to noon and then everything after that is essentially optional. That's helped a lot. Um, theming my days out and not, not stacking calls up first thing Monday morning. So my actual meetings to run the agency is actually Tuesday mornings. So I don't get Sunday night dread because Monday is actually oftentimes a, a writing day. It's a writing thinking str like strategy day. So that's helped a lot. I wish I would have done that right out of the gate. Um, here's why I wish I would have started that right away. Because if I had restricted myself to something like that, I wouldn't have gotten into four different businesses at one time to begin with. I would have been much more selective about what I did. And it would have forced me to start building systems earlier. So actually, like if you think about it, like if you restrict yourself to not working more than 30 or 40 hours a week, like right off the mm -hmm. bat, it may, you may look at that and go, oh, there's no way you can get a business off the ground working 30 hours a week. I, I disagree. I think, you probably, I think I absolutely could have got my business off the ground faster if I would have restricted myself to only working 30 hours a week because that would have forced me to immediately focus on what's more important. Yeah. I think one of the things that uh, helped me grow my business was when I made the commitment to go from 180 hours a week to 20. <laughs> 180 did i hear that correctly <laughs> yeah okay. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit but i remember at one point in my business career i was working like 12 hours 12 to 18 hours a day because i thought that's what you had to do mm -hmm. um and when i made um it was a couple of years ago i made the conscious decision i was like i want my business to be able to be run in 20 hours a week mm -hmm. um from me um 
that it was a huge shift. Yeah. Um, and you find yourself getting distracted less, pulled in less directions. It's easier to pick just one person and do one thing because mm -hmm. like, and all those things are good things for your business. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you're, you're just, I, I'm artificially restricting them with how much time I allow myself to spend on my business. Yeah. Um, and like, there's other benefits to that. You get more time to spend with your wife and your kids and do the things that you like to do, which makes you better when you're working. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the whole idea, um, we talked a little bit about, uh, permission to play, right. Giving yourself permission to play. Hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times if you haven't hit your goals, a lot of entrepreneurs, we struggle with this idea that we should have rest and relaxation. We don't give ourselves permission to play. And we're like, I, yeah. I, I want to hit my next goal. And if I spend, you know, the next eight hours of today, right. You know, I spent my eight hours working. I spent my next eight hours. If I spend that doing fun things that I'm not striving for my goal, like I'm giving up on myself kind of thing. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, and I wish I could, that's the, that's the thing I wish I could help people with is, is how can you give entrepreneurs permission to play? Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that would help so many people grow their business. If they could restrict your hours, learn how to build great systems, because with great systems and plugging in good people, you can really reduce the amount of time it takes to run your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, that pretty much wraps up the interview. I do have one other thing that I do with all of my guests. Um, okay. I call it the hero challenge. Hero challenge is really simple. Okay. You have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a really good story to tell. Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come on and share their story with, the, uh, with, our, with our guests? Ooh, do I have to give it to you right now? Yeah. Okay. Synonymous anything. Hmm. I think Jeff Cohn should do the show. I think he'd and be a why? blast. Why? Um, because he is that person that even though he started more businesses, he's cut his working hours a little bit has made the effort to spend time with his, with his kids and, uh, and, and really has the attitude of being elite in every aspect of his life, which means you can't pour everything into work all the time. Right? So yeah, really focusing on, I think he'd be fun to pick it, to pick his brain on his journey and how he's really focused on building those systems along the way that allows him to do the other fun things like traveling, do some, you know, the things that he didn't allow himself to do in the first couple of years of real estate. So yeah, I think he'd be good. Awesome. So we'll, uh, we'll reach out later and see if we can get a contact details for him. Yeah. Last thing, thank you for being on the show today, Matt. Where can people find you if they are interested in um, looking at pursuing results or building a podcast? And I guess more importantly, who are the ideal people to reach out? So the ideal people to reach out are business coaches, consultants that have real expertise, can solve real problems for clients, and you want to be a recognized leader in a lucrative niche. So if that's you, uh, I'd love to talk. So you can go to pursuingresults.com. You can check out our service there. You can schedule a call and all that fun stuff. And then if you are um, maybe not quite ready to look at launching your show, but you know that you want to get featured and if you got you know, interviewed on more podcasts, you'd pick up more clients, which is absolutely true. You, know, you and I have both experienced that. Uh, just go to howtogetfeatured.com because you can check out the training. Um, so Richard, you mentioned that I essentially trained your assistant. What I did is he went through that training on how to get you featured and then we just had a quick follow-up call and I showed him how to use that exact same system to just inbound book all of your guests on your podcast. And the next thing you know, he reaches out and says, Hey, six months worth of guests are booked. I'm like, oh, okay, awesome. Great. Um, so, but that's the, yeah. <laughs> that's the, the system is to get you featured. Um, and so that, yeah, that's kind of how that connection was made. Uh, but you can check that out at how to get featured.com. Yeah. And if, if I can uh, plug that a bit, I mentioned, you know, he just mentioned my assistant went through that training. 
um, and his name is Mark. Mark is excellent um, yep. and love having him on the team. And uh, just what has happened in my business as a result of that is that, you know, um, I've got it set. So we're trying to get on, uh, I think, one to two podcasts a month that I'm guesting on. Mm-hmm. And that's happening consistently, whether or not, uh, you know, there, there's, it's happening all the time, which is great. And we're trying to get um, at least four guests a month for our show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has gone so well that we actually had to increase our, um, our release rate for our show. We're actually doing eight shows a month now instead of four because of how, um, how well that has gone. <laughs> so the how to get featured training um, is fantastic. Um, and if you're looking out for that, definitely pick that up. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're looking for getting a podcast going, uh, definitely reach out to Matt is, uh, I know we've talked a lot offline about what it is that you do and what you're doing for your, your clients. Um, really smart stuff. I look forward to your book that's coming out shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's, uh, that's on the way. So keep an eye out for, uh, for that when it comes. Um, is there any uh, final thoughts you have for, for our guests, for our listeners? You're the guest. Um, <laughs> do I have any final thoughts for your listeners? Um, well, they should reach out to you, first of all. Um, yeah, you're one of the sharpest people that I know in, in how like coaches and consultants can market and find the right people who should be buying their training courses and, and leverage up that way to actually like put your pack, your, your expertise into a package that is scalable and sellable. Uh, I don't know of anybody else. That, there's not many people that I would trust that like that I send my clients to, which I do um, when they need that sort of thing. So I guess that would be my, my advice is you, you give me a lovely plug and I'll give you another because then it's not just the fact that we're friends. We're friends because we were in, you know, like we met because you're good at what you do, not vice versa. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. So thank you for coming on the show. It's been yeah. a pleasure. As always.